Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey Podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I have a cold. And uh, so if I'm going to be, I might cough a little bit and I'll try to move away from the mic when I do that. So I just, that's forewarning. Uh, sorry about that, uh, listeners to this podcast, but we're all in such a good mood that it shouldn't matter, I'm hoping. Because this is a one, it's another happy night, you know, El Country Bruce. This is another game that the Oilers would have lost last year. Mm-hmm. There's been about five games, I think, five, six games this year <coughs> that we've seen where the Oilers... Mm-hmm just look like a different team than last year this is a game where they would have wilted and lost last year mm-hmm. but it's a game where they came on strong in the third period especially in the middle section of the third period they dominated they scored a big goal mm-hmm. and they beat the defending stanley cup champion st louis blues four to two and it's always so sweet to beat the st louis blues they're just a big always have been, they've been a big tough team for what 15 long years time. well since hitchcock was coach and that was a while ago and that they used to routinely come in here and just Hitchcock would come out in the morning and talk about how good and talented and young and skilled the Oilers were and how his team would have to really be paying attention to details. And then he'd send his big team over the boards and David Backus would smear the little Oilers into little streaks along the boards and the Blues would just tear <laughs> us apart limb from limb. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Smear them. Robert Nielsen. <laughs> I don't know. It's a long time ago. Alex yeah, Hampton. it is. But they've been a, they've been a big tough team <laughs> most of that time. I mean, tonight when they turned it up in the second period, it reminded me of that scene in the original Star Wars. You know, when they're in the garbage compactor and the walls are closing in on them, and it just feels <laughs> they're going to be mashed together into nothing. And that was what St. Louis was doing. Man, did they ever turn up the heat, physical heat? And the Oilers couldn't for a while there couldn't win battles. When they did get the puck, they could never get over center, and it was coming right back at them, and they were coming in waves. And uh, credit to them, they, you know, they, they, they managed to hold that off. I mean, these are the Stanley Cup champions, after all. And they were playing on a couple days rest, and I don't think St. Louis had that bad of a game tonight. They, had, they did have a couple mistakes, but they, um, uh, you know, they, they, it wasn't like they sort of went, oh, well, this, we're, we're in first place, we can mail this one in. That, that never happened. They really hung around in this game, and they forced Oilers to the wall. And uh, <coughs> well, the Oilers found are... a way to come up with a regulation win, David. Yeah, very nice. The Oilers are not, they're, you know, they're not um, a heavy hockey team, but they're not a small hockey team. They're still, they they've still got good size. You know, you got guys like Nurse, Cassian, Dreisaitl, Adam Larson. You know, you got some big boys who can um, do some damage. So we're, let's not give away too much in terms of our good things and bad things, because I'm starting okay. to do that. All right. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast, because it's a happy Oilers victory. We're going to go with two good things each. Bruce, what's your first good thing? Our first good thing is the play of the uh, Oilers' second line. Uh, with um, Leon Dreisaitl between Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Kyler Yamamoto, uh, the trio that scored all three of Edmonton's goals, in, you know, besides the empty netter tonight, uh, they all wound up plus three. And I thought, really, all three of those guys had terrific games. Uh, I was, I mean, Dreisaitl was was dominant in the middle of the ice, uh, scored a couple of great goals, came close to more, and he got the 
he got the puck in those positions by playing defense, winning it in his own end, and roaring up ice with it, and and uh, and making stuff, dishing it off, and getting into position. And so, uh, and uh, more power to him. Six shots on nets, sixteen and twelve in the faceoff circle, and and just a fairly dominant performance all the way around. But both of his wingers, I mean, this is what makes the line click. Like there was one play that caught my eye in the second period where Leon came up through the neutral zone. And his first eye was for that cross-ice pass that he loves, right? Yeah. And Nuge was looked like he was sort of fleetingly open on the far wing. But Yamamoto was also open on the near wing in smart position. And Leon made the decision to not do the cross-ice pass and instead make the little short easy dish to Yamamoto, <laughs> who then made a skilled play to enter the zone and, and uh, get uh, the attack going. And... All of a sudden, I mean, this is the first time we've ever seen Leon play, play center where he had two skilled wingers. I mean, usually he's lucky to have one, right? I mean, last year he played with Toby Reeder and Alex Chason. Those were his two main wingers when he played on his own line. Okay, I think I have and, a migraine headache right now, Bruce, yeah. now, just when you said that. It's, I mean, <laughs> never had one before, but I just but, I feel like one just came on. Yamamoto, he played a fantastic game tonight. I loved his game. And, and defensively aware and on on the puck, I saw well, there was one mistake where he, he waited for a puck to ring around the boards instead of going towards it, and the blue managed to pinch him off. But th- th- those are few and far between. He's fearless, and he goes for the puck. He goes for the good places. Uh, he made a beauty pass, backhand sauce pass to Drysaddle on the game winner. Uh, he nearly scored himself on a very oh. tricky shot from uh, almost behind the goal line where a puck where Allen was off the post and Yamamoto knew it like very good awareness but and also he was the guy screening the netminder when Caleb Jones otherwise uh, harmless point shot uh, managed to find a hole and it was because Jake Allen was distracted with the huge shadow of big Kyler Yamamoto in his face. <laughs> there was two other St. Louis Blues defensemen also screening that. That shot well, was yes. two Blues and, and little Yam. But so, he was he was well placed to uh, create yeah, havoc, and sometimes you know the guy in front of that will draw one of those opposing defensemen in and add to the havoc that way. Anyway, uh, you know I I can't say enough about how well Yamamoto's been playing, and he's been he's been a positive factor in ten out of ten games since he's been called up. Yeah, a lot of Oilers fans are, you will recall Bruce. Mm-hmm. We're so pleased when the Oilers took Yamamoto because it was a sign that they were finally you know drafting skill. Right. <clears throat> as opposed to a Coke machine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we got, I guess, Jujar Kara is kind of the last of the Coke machines from that era still on the roster. Um, skill and skill and uh, also uh, a tenacity, though. Like, that's not really what yes. you expect, but, boy, does he bring that in spades. And then the last guy in the line, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, all he did was get a couple of assists, uh, plus three. They were all plus three. Uh, he led the team. He had two and a half more minutes in ice time than either McDavid or Drysaddle tonight. The Nuge did. Like, you almost never see that. And the big part of the reason was he played nearly four minutes on the penalty kill. Oilers killed three penalties tonight, six minutes. And Nuge was on the ice for 348 of that. So almost 60% of the penalty kill time was uh, Nugent Hopkins at work. Uh, and he was key on that unit. And he also had five shots, nine shot attempts. Like he, he was involved in the game in all three zones. And he, his game has come on in spades this last while. And, and that's great to see. So all three guys on the second line, thumbs up. 
I have to give you credit. We we have two good things each, but you, your first good thing was three good three things. Three good so. things. Yeah, absolutely. So you're going to have four. Well. All right. <laughs> you know, at the I start of the year. heard my second good thing. Yeah, one night I did a line for the first good thing and another line for the second good thing. <laughs> I like to spread credit around on a good night. Um, at the start of the year, Nugent Hopkins talked. I remember an interview where he was, they asked him about the hopes for the year. <clears throat> and he talked about how he hoped to have Find, find a line mate that he had chemistry with. Mm-hmm. I distinctly remember that. And I, and I kind of felt bad for the guy because he oh. hasn't had that in a long oh. time. You know, I guess arguably with Lucic and Eberle um, in 2016-17. You know, with McDavid, he played well for a stretch. But, you know, I guess he's looking for that, you know, just a set line for a year where he can just go to town with some other players. And has he? who would have guessed it would have been Drysaddle dry would have been the player. And Yamamoto. <laughs> it's it the three of them. And Yamamoto. It is, they, he, he's found two guys. And does it ever change the face of the Edmonton Oilers to have uh, two attacking lines that can get the job done? Because McDavid can drag his own line single-handedly forward. Okay, my good thing, Bruce, is I'll start with, with uh, Miko Koskinen. Right. I like him in net. Uh, I still favor him over Mike Smith. Mm-hmm. I just think he's a better goalie, slightly better goalie. He just, you just get the feeling. I think he spooks the other team a little bit. You know, we're just with his size, he's hard to beat. The glove hand hasn't been an issue this year. <clears throat> In his games, he's got a 911 save percentage, and Smith has a 901. Um, Koskinen is 15 and 11, and Smith is 12 and 13. And it's um, an important turnaround game for him all the same. Yeah, I, I think struggle his last couple starts. The coach Excuse leans. Yeah, go ahead. Coach leans towards um, Mike Smith. Uh, it seems to me he keeps going back to him every opportunity for Mike Smith. <clears throat> and I like Mike Smith just fine. Mike Smith is a good goalie. But in the end, I'm glad that, uh, you know, Koskinen is getting every second game on average, and it's uh, fantastic to see. I mean, at, at $4.5 million, the owners are getting good value out of that player, for this year at least. So, um, good contract to date. Well, and no reason it can't be the next two years either. Like he, he looks like a good goalie. When he's on his game, he looks like an excellent goalie. Yeah, and, and he's had a couple struggles lately. He lost two games to Calgary since Christmas, and he won that one game against Rangers. Remember where it was six to nothing, and they they hung where he got he got hurt. And oh, so yeah. I think that I think that compromised his play on the stretch of that game. And then, uh, uh, so he only played one game in January before tonight. Because the Oilers barely played. I mean, the Oilers only played what nine games. Yeah. All month. And they went with Smith. Ten games all month, and they, and they uh, nine, I guess. And they went with Smith in uh, seven out of eight. And only tonight, with the back-to-back, you knew they had to use Koskin in one of them, and he came through and he did his part with uh, some real solid work. Seals off the bottom of the net so well. Like, just the low shots. And there was mm-hmm. one shot on the power play late in the game. <clears throat> I remember Peter Angelo scoring in other games on the power play against the Oilers. Uh-huh. This time... Real hard rocket shot from Peter Angelo, and he sucked it right in without a rebound. That was such a big save. So and it was a score- shot through a lot of traffic. That one, right? Yeah, the scoring chances were eleven ten. He had ten grade A chances oh. <coughs> that he had to stop. He stopped um, 
all but two of them. So that's a very good night for Mikko Koskinen. What's your second good thing? Uh, well, I'm going to single out a particular defenseman, Adam Larson. And I know they were raving about him on the broadcast, but with good reason. And Larson really brought it with the uh, uh, defensive game tonight. And a critic might say that he spent too much time behind his own blue line. Uh, but he and Oscar Kleffbaum were consistently facing the best of the St. Louis Blues. It was quite quite an interesting job that Dave Tippett did tonight with his with his demon. And if you look at the if you look at the shot shares in this game, you say, well, when Larson was on the ice, the Oilers got outshot thirteen to seven. And when the other pairs were on the ice, they were doing the outshooting. And when Caleb Jones was on the ice, the Oilers had fifteen shots to three against. So it looks like that's their best pair. Well, guess what? The matchups. This is the top top minutes <clears throat> of play tonight. Uh, 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 Jones and Benning. Jones looked really good on his on his left side, on his natural side. I thought tonight, by the way. But uh, yeah. Jones, the the most guys they played against was six minutes against Blaze, Barbashev, and Dilla Rose, which is not exactly St. Louis's top players. For Nurse and and Bear, they played nine minutes against Shen, Schwartz, and Steen. For Clefbaum uh, and Larson. 13 minutes against Perron, <coughs> O'Reilly, and Sanford. And those guys were just bringing it. Man, Perron's a tough guy to handle. And yeah. Ryan O'Reilly, what a fantastic player that guy is. Like every every part of the ice, he's a, he's a tr- tremendous player. Very dangerous, very crafty, makes very good decisions in, in, in an instant. And, and a slab. They, it was them bringing the pressure. And it was it was Larson and and Clefbaum who were tasked with the responsibility of of um, of dealing with it, and yeah. they had to deal with a lot of it behind their own blue line and behind their own goal line. But uh, Larson dealt with some of it with dispatch. He had that one fantastic ship where he hammered two different guys with clean body checks and put them both down in between times. Made a very good defensive play to block a a shot pass that looked like it was. Uh, Headed for a danger zone, and he in fact blocked six shots in this game. Stepped up in a uh, in in a big way. This was the good Adam Larson that we we don't see this guy every night, but we sure did see him tonight. So hats off to him for for uh, for delivering a uh, a big performance against a real tough set of rivals. He almost went full Kachuk on that one hit. The guy came around the net and he came down and leveled him. Now the guy saw him more than Cassian saw. Mm-hmm. Um, Kachuk, but it was well, that a, was a, fair, that that was was a on real one, hard it wasn't hit. Wasn't one on two. Well, I wasn't think the guy was, was engaged. The second guy where he comes uh, I think it was Bruce. He, he, he was. That was a similarity. Stood him up. He just stood him up. The guy tried to come through his area, and and Larson, like there was no, he didn't bring anything up. He didn't go for the head. He just got the whole body and just hammered him. That was Tyler Bozik. Yeah. And then a few seconds later, he got that. Uh, uh, I got that uh, greasy uh, Sammy Blaze, and I didn't mind that. Oh, Sammy Blaze, is a, <laughs> he's a tough player, eh? You'd love him to have him on the Oilers. He's a tough guy. <clears throat> okay, my um, second good thing, Bruce, is the defensive depth on the Oilers. So they lose Chris Russell. Chris Russell's mm-hmm. a pretty good defensive hockey player. This year, they don't miss a beat. They got betting back. Caleb Jones steps in. Um, Ethan Bear continues to play strong hockey in a top four role 
on the right side. I mean, he's just such a crucial player to the Oilers. Caleb Jones, though, just looking better and better every game. I I agree. Like the the um, when you're looking at statistics for defensemen, it can be deceiving if you look at on ice numbers for the bottom pairing defensemen, because I think they have it way easier than the top yes. four in terms of. I don't think the forwards actually necessarily have it all that different than other forwards. Like it's, but I think those bottom two defensemen they could be really misleading. They're on ice numbers oh, because their matchup, they, sir. their matchup is so they're playing against guys who have a hard time scoring, hard time getting scoring chances. And nonetheless, so that all that's it. Man, Caleb Jones is a, is a great player with the puck. He is so savvy with the puck. And uh, I love the way he plays hockey. I, I'm a huge fan of this player. I think he's as good a player as Ethan Bear. Uh, when he gets his confidence, when he gets his legs under him at the NHL this season, gets the full confidence of the coach, I, uh, he's, he's a really strong player. I'd hate to see the Oilers trade him. I understand they've got a log jam at left defense and who knows what's going to happen. But, you know, the fact that he can also switch over to the right side um, – <clears throat> We're seeing the Oilers without Chris Russell here and what it might look like and um, yeah. didn't look didn't look that bad. Um, and Matt Benning is just a solid, he's a solid hockey player. He's a solid bottom-pairing defenseman. Nothing wrong with his yeah. game. Very sound, defensively sound, fundamentally sound, doesn't make many mistakes. Well, we've seen, I mean, even just the last three games, we've seen, uh, uh, we've seen Russell with Jones, Russell with Benning, and now Jones with Benning and just, by the nature of the injuries uh, that uh, uh, Benning came back in the same game he came back, Russell got hurt. Uh, I really like Jones on the left side tonight. I thought he was more, he made more yeah. plays to get open space in his own zone. He had a couple more options to go to wide to his strong side and make a pass. And uh, he, he looked sound. And, you know, both that, that pair... They were both on the ice for all three goals that the uh, dry saddle line was on. The Sweet. same five players were on for all three of the of the of the main goals in this game, uh, you know, against the goalie, and uh, they were uh, uh, like the puck was definitely going north on their watch. And uh, like you say, they were playing against weaker players for the most part, but uh, <coughs> uh, they they really got the job done. And jo- Jones, uh, I think that's the best game I've seen him play in the NHL. To tell the truth. Oh, he had some good ones last year when he came up. He seemed to have a real jolt of um, confidence when he first came. But um, I, I best game this year. Yeah, best game under Tippett. Yeah, they taped up a puck for him. That was kind of weird. Eh? He scored his second career goal. I'm saying to my wife, why are they? Why, why is everybody collecting pucks and stuff? Like I'm sure he scored last year, and I looked it Maybe up. Maybe they sure forgot. He had a goal, and it seemed like everybody on the bench forgot. Probably Jones remembered, and it must have been kind of a. They'll be laughing about that one tomorrow. I wonder what well, this is the self. <laughs> this is the self-esteem era, Bruce. So you know, you get this. You not. You just don't first tape up that year, first puck. puck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Everyone gets. Everyone gets a taped up puck every game. All right. <clears throat> What's your uh, bad thing? Uh, we can thumb wrestle over this one, but I, since you let me go first, I'm going to take Jujar Kara. We agreed, Bruce. This is we're, we're picking the same bad thing. Oh, this okay. is a we're rare pick, game. Okay, let's pile on then. We're piling on and picking the same by bad my, thing. By my count, we had him tabbed for four grade-A scoring chances against, including both goals that were in part due to errors by Kara. 
the one that stuck in my craw, especially was the game tying goal, where just seconds after he'd been burned for one play that hit the post, uh, the puck came to him in the slot, and he had full possession of the puck and just needed to make a competent play to get it to the boards, get it over the blue line, dump it out, make it pass, you know, like some of the good options. And he just fumbled it into his skate, and he lost possession, and bang, bang, it's in the net. You just, you got to be able to bear down and make a play under pressure in this league or you can't stay in the league. And I'm starting to run out of patience. This is not quite the right word, but I'm, st- I'm starting to, to, to run low on expectations that he's going to get through this and, and turn himself into a player because this has been bad. There's been a lot of bad hockey from this guy. First two months of the year. Then he got it going for a while, and we thought, well, it's a good thing we didn't get rid of him. Now we're seeing the real guy, and it lasted for about three weeks, and then right back into the tank. How many nights have we had like this with Kara? It's probably about four or five, right, where at the end of the game we're just left kind of shaking our hands and heads and wondering if he's going to be able to stay in the NHL. Um, you know, there's an NHL player there. I, I, I'll be surprised. If he's if it's in Edmonton at this point, he's wearing out his welcome. He's worn out his welcome with uh, many many fans, and it, maybe he's feeling that. Maybe those tough yeah. little plays come where he feels seizes up. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I think you know the, he's got good size, so you hate to lose him. You hate to lose a big tough guy like that. But I don't I think the Oilers are, would be okay without him. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him move to the deadline for another player. He was I mean, he was good on the penalty kill tonight. I'll give him that. He, he and is he's good. He's been good on the penalty kill most of the year. Yeah, but at even strength, he's a he's a he's a, a um, you know just too many bad things happening, and he's the Oilers are getting outscored when he's on the ice. Minus two tonight. I mean, your depth lines. Our job is to you know keep things keep things quiet, and it just wasn't happening. When uh, when he was out there, I just did not see him uh, in a real good light. Well, you know, we track um, major mistakes on goals against mm-hmm. at the Cult of Hockey <coughs> in our video review. And and Kara, uh, for the wingers, for the full-time wingers, mm-hmm. is the worst player. He's, he's made 16 mistakes on goals against this year. Uh, the next worst is Archibald with 11. He had a really bad run at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Since has been good. James Neal, 10. Cassian, 8. Uh, Gagne, 9. But that's um, 16 and, and not that much ice time compared to some of these other guys. Yeah, like like um, Neal on the, Cassian's on over basis. 700 minutes and Kyra is at 480 minutes. Oh. So, you know, 490 minutes. Yeah, he's... At a, at a rating, yeah, he's he's just way below everybody else. It's not it's not close to good enough. So yeah, I just think we'll see what happens. Like there's been times when we've re- I've really liked this player. You've liked this player. He's had yeah. good games. He's had good stretches. I'm still rooting for him. I just don't see it happening. And and I'm seeing costly costly mistakes on a repetitive basis and same type of mistakes, especially turnovers inside his own blue line. I wonder if he'll be in the lineup tomorrow against Calgary or, or if they go with Tyler Benson. I wouldn't be, you know, they might want Kara because if they got Buddy Buddy Hamilton there, whatever that guy's name is, you know, you buddy. need to, Buddy, 
You need someone to go up against Buddy and, and Lucic. Maybe they'll have Carey and they'll maybe they'll get another chance because it's against Calgary. Wouldn't mind seeing Tyler Benson though. He was still playing in the third period. I mean, uh, yeah, I thought he I might be benched. Say that um, a tip kept rolling the lines. I thought Dave Pippen himself actually had a pretty good game tonight. Me too. Well, we don't grade coaches, but I, I liked his matchups and I liked you know the way he worked everybody in there and uh, uh, they. Uh, uh, the penalty kill came through with those three big kills, including the one in three minutes left in the third period. Alex Jason, who I thought had a very good game up until then, but boy, that's a tough penalty to take with three minutes to play. That was a penalty too. I didn't. The one thing I, I like Tippett's game too. Um, I didn't necessarily like the Kara uh, on the checking line with Shane. Who else was on that line? Um, uh, Patrick Russell. Yeah. I, the too big slow guy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the too big slow guy thing doesn't work for me. You know, one of the things I've been thinking is Gagne has had some extra pep in his step. I'd love to see him with McDavid and Cassian for a game and put Archibald then back with Shane and whoever, okay. uh, Russell on the checking line. But I think Gagne, like he's he, he's good to go in these big games. I'm liking him he's in the big tonight. games. He's good tonight. He was really good against Calgary. Oh, I'd like to see him. Yeah, I think he could make some plays with Connor McDavid and Cassian. He's got the confidence to try, and he's a pretty smart hockey player at this point. So, Bruce, what is your? So my bad thing was also Cassian. What was your number? That's a Kara. Yeah. Or, yeah, excuse me, Kara. Uh, I'm going to go with the number ten, and it's ten games ago, December thirty first to January thirty first, at the at the slow crawl that the schedules turned into. Uh, but it was ten games ago that. Dave Tippett finally split up the deadly duo of Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and definitively put him on two lines. Uh, and he brought up, uh, or they brought up Kyler Yamamoto at the same time. And at that point, the season they were at the 41 game point of the season. And since then, in those 10 games, since Leon has been away from Connor, Leon has scored at least one point in all 10 of those games. All 10 wow. of those games. And in his last eight games, <laughs> this is Leon's points in the last eight games. Two, 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 one, three, two, two, two. Like, he's not just getting a point here and there. He's got multiple points almost every game. And he's doing it with, as said right up top, with lots of help from the wingers. Uh, tonight, Yamamoto uh, got one point and Nuge got two. And the defense chipped in. But... Uh, uh, Leon on his own line with the right wingers is getting the job done. And, and a big part of that, of course, is McDavid is soaking up the toughest matchups. But yeah. when you can then throw your second line over the boards and they're playing against the other team's second second toughs, well, if your second line has, you know, three top six caliber players on it and not uh, Toby <coughs> Reader and Alex Chason, then you can make good things happen. And tonight, that was the difference in the game. The Oilers have two game breakers, and and uh, many nights it's going to be the first line that's going to break the game, but uh, uh, some nights it's going to be the second. And, you know, Leon Dreisaitl did break this game with a beautiful goal to put Edmonton ahead 3-2, to two, his eighth game-winning goal of the season, now tied for the NHL lead. And he's a guy that scores big goals at, at big times. You know, this wasn't the fourth goal and what became a 7-3 win, you know, it was this was 
the one that turned the tide back in Edmonton's favor after St. Louis had forged their way back into a tie. And when you've got, so anyway, 10 games, uh, seven wins, all in regulation, just one regulation loss, that one to Calgary. And the two other losses were the only two overtime games they played. They happened to lose both of them. Normally you'd expect to win one of those games. But 7-1-2, and two, and over those 10 games, they've scored 44 goals. Yeah, you know, there's a, kind of two camps of Oiler fans, Bruce. Mm-hmm. There's the ones who want to see McDavid and Dreisaitl together. And I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure Kurt Levins is in that camp. Mm-hmm. And then there's the camp that want to see them split apart. And I'm definitely in that camp. I have been okay. from the start. And I've liked McDavid and Dreisaitl. I mean, who doesn't like them together when they're scoring? But I've always liked this team. I think I think this is a better team when they're split up. It well, just last... gives more wingers more of a chance to play with exceptional hockey players. And it causes these matchup troubles for the other teams. It also has them both playing center and not shifting back and forth, not confused about their defensive assignment. Listen, these two guys were atrocious at defense in December. They were they were two of the worst defensive players in the NHL that month. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because they're shifting around. No one knows who's supposed to play center. They're making these small little mistakes, making um, defensive breakdowns because of it, goals against. And... Um, now, now they're playing center, and they know who's supposed to play center. The guy who takes the face-offs. So I just think uh, it's the right way to go. Maybe we'll, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see Tippett go back to the, the them together again. But on the other hand, with the way this line's playing, pretty hard to move against. The away way, from yeah, it. the way I mean, it's it's definitively working. This big change that he made at midseason, and he's got the. Uh, uh, you know, he would need a lot of convincing. Like, what he is doing, and, and I like this as well, is this idea that after the Oilers kill the penalty and the other team's best players have all had a shift on the power play to immediately counter with uh, with uh, Connor and Leon together for one shift, but only right after after a penalty kill and try and take advantage of a matchup that way. And also to get them back in the game because they generally, are, you know, his his A plan is to not use those guys on the penalty kill and then have them fresh and raring to go as soon as the penalty's over. And we haven't seen it bear a lot of fruit in terms of goals yet right after penalties. But, you know, we've seen uh, Tippett go into that combination. So he picks his spots on when to use them. But I, won, I thought this was hugely significant the other night. We didn't talk about this. but Overtime. At the overtime... When for the first time in forever, instead of going out with uh, Connor and Leon off the bat, they went with uh, with uh, Drysaddle and Yamamoto, and then came back with uh, McDavid and Nugent Hopkins together. Now they, you know, they got four guys that can skate and and make plays and not dump it into the <coughs> other team uh, that they can use in overtime. Yeah. Like at one point this season, we were talking about using one forward and two defensemen because they only yeah. had three forwards that they could rely on in the overtime situation. Well, Yamamoto, he played three shifts in that overtime and he was fantastic in overtime. Yeah. Both ends of the ice. He made about three great defensive plays in that overtime. And it was a good thing because he was out there with, with Dreisaitl and that was where Dreisaitl and McDavid together were starting to get exposed uh, when the other guys had the puck. And Yamamoto, uh, he got that job done. And then, you know, there was, uh, but 
I wondered at what point Tippett would go away from that, and it's it's clearly now is the time that uh, he's decided, nope, these guys are each going to drive their own unit, they get their power play time together, and we'll spot them uh, after a penalty kill, and otherwise each guy is in charge of his own line. And again, it, it reminds me a little bit of the chemistry between Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier. Yeah. Back in the year. You know, and, and the second line can do its own damage uh, and, and it'll win you the odd game. And on the nights when they're both going, well, God help the other team, you know. Yeah. I like Nuge on the wing, too, Bruce. I like Nuge on the wing. I Like, honestly, I don't think Nuge. I'm surprised, but I agree. I don't think Nuge, honestly, is a strong defensive center. He's been in the league a long time and I just don't see it. Um, I like him as a winger defensively. I think he's a smart defender. <clears throat> but I think he can get overpowered in the slot. I think he puck watches a little too much in the slot. And this is what, seven, eight years into his career. Um, it's, um, it's, I'd see, you know, honestly, I, I just think they can do better than him. Defensively at center, he's a fantastic hockey player, though. He's a, he, and he's a strong defensive player, too. At wing. Yeah, at wing. Uh-huh. So I like him there. So my number, Bruce, is um, minus 11 and plus 25. So mm-hmm. if you um, go by official NHL plus minus, Leon Dreisaitl mm-hmm. is minus 11. He's the fourth worst player on the Oilers. Uh, he was plus three tonight, but he's minus oh. 11 overall. But at the Cult of Hockey, it, we actually look at each goal and scoring chance, but all the goals. Uh-huh. Try to figure out, well, who was actually made a major contribution to that goal and who made a major mistake on the goal against. Right. If you go by that, by what we're seeing and, and counting up, you know, like kind of what I call individual goals plus minus or real uh-huh. plus yep. minus. Dry settles plus 25. The even best, strength? Even strength. Wow. Plus 25. The best number on the Oilers. So he's not minus, he's not a minus 11 player mm-hmm. at even strength. He's if you he's he's contributed to forty three even strength goals, made a major contribution to forty three even strength goals in fifty one games, and he's made mistakes on eighteen against major mistakes on eighteen, but which is a high number. McDavid's by... McDavid's made twenty six, mm-hmm. and he's forty one. McDavid is uh, f- plus fifteen by that same wow, metric. That's a huge difference between the two. <clears throat> yeah, so Leon's actually been you know if you just look at goals. And I don't think this is a perfect metric to look, you know, lens, filter to look. No, there isn't. I think it's it's kind of interesting, especially as the season goes on and you get a larger sample size. Goals plus minus starts to become a more significant statistic. Um, but, you know, the, the talk, you know, we were we we went a month talking about every minus that Leon Dreisaitl got. Well, the problem was he was making mistakes, major mistakes on all those goals against. He was really earning those. But overall this year, he's been a fantastic two-way hockey player. And I know that we have a little running inside joke that I've picked him as the bad thing many, many nights. But Leon Dreisaitl is a fantastic two-way hockey player in the NHL. He's absolutely fantastic. He's the modern-day Phil Esposito, and I love watching him play. Well, he's hanging in there, you know. After coming into tonight's game, uh, they were a dead heat for the scoring lead. The Oilers have played 50. Each of McDavid and Drysaddle had 50 assists, one per game. Each of them had 27 goals. And tonight, now with his two goals and McDavid held off the score sheet, Leon's got his nose back in front again. And all year it seemed like, well, he had the hot start, but in, inevitably McDavid's going to catch him and he's going to pass him and he's going to pull away. 
not happening. <coughs> and Leon is just staying right there with him. And I mean, as mentioned, I mean, he's, he scored 16 points in his last eight games. He's not going away. He's pumping him in. Leon's at 1.55 points per game. McDavid at 1.51. That's like, that's, that's uh, stratospheric. Yeah, we're looking at how many points? 130? 125 at least for 1.55. Yeah. 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 All righty. Well, Bruce, I'm going to expire if I don't get off this podcast soon. I'm, yeah. I think the people are tired of hearing me coughing and sniffling. So, okay. Probably Hopefully time to you're the feeling a little better tomorrow night. We'll have another Battle of Alberta to, to uh, discuss. And uh, we'll either be spitting fire or uh, throwing bouquets. And I sure hope it's the latter because I'm sick and tired of losing to Calgary. I think the order is going to win. It's a All tall right. order. Like, they're going to. They're, they're, if they get good turn goal, it around it. after the after the heavy heavy game like i joked on twitter that when it comes to heavy hockey the st louis blues are andre the giant you know that, that <laughs> they, but if they can find the and, and uh, hopefully they will you know like they'll certainly be they'll be truly motivated tomorrow and 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 hopefully they can just keep it going and it'd be nice just to see them take it to them you know man i'd love to see that but uh, oh, just yeah. they need to get a result out of that game as well. Yeah. Don't they have Refrigerator Perry on defense in St. Louis? <laughs> All right. Bruce David Backus still smearing guys into the board. <laughs> Leaving little stains, as you put it. <laughs> that was kind of a horrific image, Bruce. All right. <laughs> thanks for talking. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.